We hope you enjoy listening to this podcast of St. Louis on the Air, brought to you by University College at Washington University. With undergraduate and graduate programs, part-time, evening, and online. University College at Washington University, offering world-class education within reach. Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Don Marsh. It was 63 years ago that African-American Chicago teenager Emmett Till was murdered while visiting family in Mississippi. This after a white woman said he offended her at a money Mississippi grocery store. Two men were charged and acquitted of murdering Till in retaliation for that incident. The woman now says she did not tell the truth about her encounter with Till. And now the government says it's reopening the investigation of the murder. In 2014, I spoke with Till's cousin, Simeon Wright, about the case. He was 12 when Till was killed, and he described Mississippi at the time of the incident. In that day, we lived under the, uh, what you call the Jim Crow system. Uh, we had no right to vote. We had no equal access to the job market, whether locally or federal jobs. We had no protection under the law. This was the main, uh, I would say, limb, the main thing that kept African-Americans under the foot of the segregationists. We had no protection under the law. We couldn't go to the law and get any kind of uh, redress at all. A, t- a totally different environment for young Emmett Till in Chicago at that time. Did he have any idea what kind of an atmosphere that he was getting into by traveling down for that visit in Mississippi? I don't think he had a clear understanding of how it was then. Uh, his mother said she had told him how to act, but it, it just didn't sink in. He just he just couldn't imagine anything like that happening. Well, tell us about his time down there before all of these these other events took place. Uh, did, was he adjusting to this? Did he become aware that this was a different environment? Well, the, the, the week they, he was there with us, we, we had no contacts with uh, any other people outside except our boss man. He was German, so we really never had any problem with him. Mm-hmm. And we in Mississippi, we, man, we just had a ton of fun. You know, back in those days, you get you had someone visiting you from the north. Oh my goodness, that was a joy. And well, I guess looking at it from the other side, what were you hearing from him about what life was like in Chicago as opposed to what the life you were living? Oh my goodness, he told me about Riverview Amusement Park. I just couldn't imagine amusement park being that big. He told us about uh, Lincoln Park Zoo and, and Lincoln Park area. Even now, when we we take our kids on the Sunday school picnic, for the last 20-some years, we go to Lincoln Park area. And I heard about it from Emmett Till in Mississippi. It's beautiful. What kind of a kid was he? Fun-loving, had no fear, always laughing. I, I, I never, I don't think I ever saw him angry. He was always laughing, always looking for something to do to to make him laugh or to make you laugh. You know, we, we've read many things about this particular case and about this young man. <clears throat> One of the things that I read most recently was the fact that a lot of people considered him kind of cocky. Not cocky, no, but fun-loving, you know. He, he laughs a lot. But as far as the the uh, image that they were displayed by the segregationists, no, he wasn't that type. Fun-loving, I wanted to be a comedian. That was his goal. He wanted to, he wanted to pattern his uh, act after George Goble because he had the deadpan look. That's the kind of guy he was. Isn't that ironic that he wanted to be a comic and yet he was caught up in such an 
horrible, horrible uh, situation as he was. Yes. You were with him during the incident that triggered the whole rest of the story, that being the, uh, the, the grocery store, a quick trip kind of shop, whatever it was. Tell us about what was going on there. Well, we had picked cotton all day, and we had had supper. Then we decided we were going to go to uh, money. My brother Maurice, 16, was driving the car. It's a little grocery store of some sort. <clears throat> yeah, it was a grocery store. Money was about three miles west of where we lived. Behind money was the Tallahatchie River, and we went to the little store, and my nephew, Wheeler Parker, he came down to visit also with Emmett. And he went in the store first. Then Emmett went in behind him. Wheeler came out. My brother Maurice sent me in there to be in there with him to make sure that he didn't say anything out of line. You know? And while I was in the store with him, he said nothing out of line. He paid for his items. We both left the store together. And for some reason, Mrs. Bryant came out. She was the wife of this store owner. And she was walking to her car. And for some reason, he whistled at her, wolf whistle. It scared us half to death. And how did she react to that? Well, she gave him a, a long look, you know, because when Emmett saw our reaction, it scared him because he thought it was funny. To him, that was funny. To us, that was a—you didn't do that in Mississippi. You well, didn't whistle at nothing white in Mississippi. What, why not? What was wrong with that? <laughs> we had never heard of—no uh, one had put any t- type of a punishment on it, but we knew better. We knew not to whistle at a white woman in Mississippi. No. That didn't even cross our mind. And, and you know, I, someone asked me, said, why did he do it? I said, I think he wanted us to laugh. Well, uh, no, nobody laughed, I'm nobody sure. Laughed. Nobody laughed. And somebody, certainly nobody has laughed since. We all ran. We got out of there. Uh-huh. Did you think once you got away that uh, it was over? Yes, because someone said, why did you run? I said, just like breaking a window. You don't hang around if you break someone's window. And after we got home, we thought it was over. We we thought maybe if, if uh, Mr. Bryant caught us, he may whip us or something like That's that. That's the but, husband of the woman. Yeah, the husband. But I had, we had no idea that he would be killed for this. That didn't even cross our mind. Did you talk to him about it? And when you got home and went like this, wow, I'm glad that's over. Did you say anything to him? When we got home, my brother Maurice, actually before we got home, because there was some, there was a car behind us, and my brother Maurice stopped the car. There was, we were about two miles down the road. Everybody jumped out of the car except me, and it was a neighbor going home. But when they got back to the car, Maurice told him, man, you don't do anything like that. And that's when he begged us. He said, please, please, don't, don't tell Uncle Mo what I did. I don't want to go home because he knew Dad was going to send him home. That takes us to the abduction. Uh, you were with them. You were sleeping in the same room. Yes. Uh, what happened? About 2.30 that night, I heard loud talking in the in the house. And when I opened my eyes, at the foot of my bed, I saw two white men. One had a forty-five and a flashlight. He ordered me to lay back down. He made Emmett get up and put his clothes on. First, he asked him a lot of questions. Were you the boy that did all the talking money? And Emmett said, yeah. And... He got angry because Emmett didn't say, yes, sir. And he made Emmett dress. And by this, I still don't know what's going on. Then my mother came in there. She, she, she was half talking, half crying, offering them money to leave him alone. The husband of Callum Bryant kind of hesitated. But Robert, uh, J.W. Milan, he, he didn't. They marched him out of the room. Before they left the room, he asked my dad. He said, how old are you? My dad said, I'm 64. 
He said, if you tell anybody about this, you won't live to get 65. How did these guys get into the house? Back then, we didn't lock the door. They knocked. They, they came. They, they they came up on the porch. We had a porch of the length of the whole house, and they knocked on my dad's door. They called him preacher. And when my dad opened the door, they were standing with a gun. And but no, no uh, doors were locked. So they marched him out of there. They marched him out to a truck. How did it? How did it unfold from that point on? Well, they asked the lady in the truck, "Is this the right boy?" She responded, "Yes." Well, that would have been the wife. That. that to this day, I, we believe it was Callum Bryant. She said it wasn't, mm-hmm. but okay, I believe so, it was a wife. So he was identified as the one who had been in the store and, and did the whistling. What right. then? What then? Mm-hmm. And they drove him off, and we never saw him alive again. Mm-hmm. How long did it take before his body was uh, discovered? He was uh, kidnapped on a Sunday morning. We found the body Wednesday. And, and where did you find the body? It, a, a young fisherman was fishing. He saw a leg stick up out of the Tallahassee River, which was about 20 miles north of where we live. And when they pulled the body out, it, that was Emmett. When when he was taken from the house, did uh, you folks, the family, feel that uh, this might be the outcome of that abduction? I, I think my mother did because she couldn't be consoled. I could hear, you know, it's, it's a voice that I never leave you. You hear half talking, half crying, and 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 my daddy had to take her out of the house. And he took her to her brother's house, who lived in Sumner, where the trial took place. And she never set foot in the house again. But during the time that my mother and father was away from the house, we said nothing. I laid in that bed. I did not move. My brother, in my bedroom, there's two beds. My brother Robert was sleeping in one bed. Emmett and I was in the other one. I, all I could do, I was so shaken by it that lay there, I couldn't say nothing. I couldn't tell anybody anything. How did these two men come to be arrested? Well, when they, my daddy told the, uh, got in touch with the sheriff and told him what happened, identified the men. The sheriff knew exactly who he was talking about, and they went then and arrested Roy Bryant first. Roy Bryant uh, was obviously the, the husband the of the husband woman. of Callan Bryant. And, and what was the name of the other fellow? Uh, J.W. Milam. He was the mean guy. He was the guy with the gun. Well, I guess people looking back and knowing a little bit about the South at that time, going to the sheriff didn't, didn't necessarily guarantee that any action was going to be taken. No. Uh, this sheriff of uh, Lee Floor County, that's where we live, he claimed that he was going to do something. He... he he did what he could. I think that the, the sheriff of, of Tallahassee County, where he was killed, first he was kind of on the side of the prosecution, but someone got to him because during the trial he, he testified for the defense. How, how was Emmett murdered? Was he just drowned? No, he was beaten. He was beaten brutally. Then he was shot in the head with a forty-five. And then and then tossed into then the river. tossed into the Tallahassee River. How long after this did the uh, did the trial occur? The trial started. I believe they started the jury selection. The trial started the nineteenth of September. So you're talking within a month. That's pretty fast. That's fast. That's certainly fast by today's standards. By today's standards. Was it fast by the standards of the day in that place? Well, it was unheard of in, uh, by, by that standard uh, a white man being charged with murder, a black man. That was unheard of in Mississippi. Mm-hmm. 
Tell me a little bit about the trial. Did you attend the trial? I attended the trial because the ring that was taken off Emmett's body, he let me wear that ring the, the first day that he got there. Mm-hmm. And when the sheriff showed the ring to my dad, I was the one to identify the ring. And, and they kept me in the witness room all during that time. So in the witness room, you did not necessarily see all of the testimony. I didn't see all of the testimony. Uh-huh. But I was in there with one of the main witnesses, uh, Willie Reed. Who, who was Willie Reed? He was the one that saw uh, Emmett and two other black men on the back of the truck and Roy Bryant and J.W. Milan in the cab of the truck. And that would have been following the abduction. taking That him was following the abduction, away. yes. Taking him away. Right. What was your testimony to be? I was to identify the ring. I was, Ident- I was identify the ring, right? But you were uh, also a witness to the initial incident. But they didn't. They didn't ask me when I when I had to go give a deposition. They never asked me what happened in the store. Did anybody testify to uh, to to that? They didn't want that out. Uh, Carolyn gave a, a statement, but it wasn't testimony because she wasn't on oath. Why would uh, they not want that out? Because they didn't want the world to know what happened at the store. The boy whistled at, at Callum Bryant. He was killed for that. But she said that he put his arms around her and asked her for a date and said, what's the matter, baby? I've been with white women before. And th- that never happened. So they exaggerated what, uh, what had happened uh, outside that store. Exactly. It changed the mood of the people when she made that statement. Yeah. What kind of a woman was she? Well, she was... Uh, we didn't know too much about it because we hardly ever went in that store. Uh-huh. This happened to be on a Wednesday, and all of the stores and money closes on Wednesday except that store. They were supposed to close, but they were so bad they wouldn't close that store. So ordinarily, we wouldn't go in that store. So we, I, I didn't know too much. Only only other incident I had with a friend of mine, our school was right across the street from there. He went over there, had a slot machine in their store, uh-huh. and he won, I don't know what it was, a couple of dollars. She wouldn't pay off. So that's why we stayed out of there. How old a woman was she and her husband? At that time, she was uh, 21. I believe her husband was 24. Somehow I had the feeling that they were, that they were older than that. No. No. Uh, no. They were acquitted. Yes, they were. Surprised? I was shocked. But my dad wasn't. I, I, you know, at 12 years of age, you used to see in Western, you catch the bad guys, he go to jail. That's what mm-hmm. I'm thinking. Yeah. What, uh, what, what kind of reaction was there to that verdict, not only with, uh, with you and your friends and your family, but in, in the community itself? Well, the, uh, the white population was rejoicing as if, you know, they a circus or something. They were rejoicing, high-fiving. Well, they wasn't high-fiving back then, but they was doing their little thing, you know, congratulations and whatnot. Right. Hard to imagine. Emmett Till has become one of the most famous names in the, in the history of race relations and civil rights in this country because of the incident uh, that you have just described. What are your thoughts about that? Uh, I mean, you lived through a, a big part of this. You lived through all of it, actually. Actually, yes. Your, your thoughts about the impact it's had uh, on this country since? Well, the first impact, it changed uh, me and all of my friends. It, it changed us overnight. Our whole attitude changed. We took the attitude and said, hey, they're going to kill us anyway, so we might as well fight back. So we began to resist. And that's really what some said started to say. It didn't start the civil rights movement, but it brought more people in. More people were brought into the civil rights movement to try to get equal justice for 
all Americans. Was it a slow process? I mean, you're talking 1955, and the thing really started to build momentum a little bit later than that, more, more toward the 60s, I would say. Well, it was a violent process. A lot of people were killed mm-hmm. because just for the simple fact of trying to vote, they was killed for that. Yeah. And that's what slowed it down because, you know, you could go out and demonstrate for something, figure you're going to come back home. But thinking that you're going to die for this, it slows you down. How far was this incident from, I guess it was Oxford, Mississippi, where the three uh, young men from the north were killed, Cheney and Schwerner, and I've forgotten the name of the other young man who were killed. Goodman. Goodman, yeah. Philadelphia, Mississippi. Philadelphia, Mississippi. Right. How, how far away was that from where this uh, Emmett Till incident occurred? As far as mileage or years? Well, no, I know the years in terms of proximity, the mileage. I would say about 80 miles to the south, southwest. What was it about Mississippi? I mean, that's the state that everybody kind of points to. So many of the bad things were happening and so many of the kind of uh, attitudes that you described earlier in our conversation. What was it about Mississippi? Well, if you were a landowner, you had free labor and you would kill before you give that up. But it wasn't free labor in 1955. <laughs> Two dollars a hundred pounds of cotton. Free labor in the sense that uh, we in the were, sense they they had they, they worked you all year. Most of the plantation around there, the average uh, land that people could have was five acres. You couldn't live off of that. Mm-hmm. Like I said, we had a a German as a boss. He gave my dad forty acres, so he could make a good living off of that. So he, he was, the German was German-born, is that it? He was not from that uh, that part of the world at all. He, he was German-born and married a girl from Mississippi. Uh-huh. But the, the whole thing about it is economics. I, I'm curious as to how this evolved. You talked about the violence and about how it led to the civil rights movement. Give me some sense of how it changed from 1955 to the early 1960s, where you were. Well, the early 1960s, it was about the same. After, you know, they had the, the bombing in Birmingham, 63, uh, Megan Ever was killed in, in, in 63. So 1968, things began to really change. Because I remember, I can remember going to Memphis in 1969. We couldn't go into hotels. Mm-hmm. We had to stay with friends. What was the feeling like for you living in that from the, after, after Remit's death and having the same kind of attitude prevail and was there a feeling of helplessness, hopelessness, that this is never going to change? Well, what happened was uh, after the trial, after the verdict, we left Mississippi. My dad and I, my, my dad, my uh, two brothers, we left uh, that Saturday. I actually, we sold our stuff that Saturday and we was on the train that Monday getting out of Mississippi. Because of the murder? Because of the verdict. Because of the verdict? The verdict. Because you knew that this stuff was not going to stop? Not going to stop. Right. It was the verdict that, that changed a lot of people's mind. Other members of the family also left, didn't they? Well, my mother left the same night. Did you feel that you were going to be targeted if you stayed? I didn't have that fear. I, you know, a young idealist, I wanted to fight back. But You're 12 years old. Yeah, but we only had two guns. Oh, so it got to that point where that knocked, there wasn't that, enough weapons to That, that knocked me out of the box. It, but it, that's, the, that's the attitude I had then. And where did you go when you left? We went to a suburb of uh, Chicago, a place called Summit, Argo Summit, where they make Argo starch. Uh-huh. That's where I finished my education at. 
So you got as far away from uh, Mississippi as you could. Uh, you're as going far away as I could. That's Simeon Wright talking about his cousin Emmett Till, whose 1955 murder in Mississippi helped galvanize the civil rights movement. Wright, who passed away last September, is the author of Simeon's Story, an eyewitness account of the kidnapping of Emmett Till. We spoke in January of 2014. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU.